Lots of concern surrounding the Middle East today. Well, I mean, there has been for months, but uh, perhaps more so this week. Um, Israel's military planning an offensive into the city of Rafah um, in uh, Gaza. About one and a half million Palestinians there. Most of them fleeing to that city after being told to evacuate other parts of the Gaza Strip. Well, a joint statement, uh, Prime Ministers of Australia, New Zealand, and Justin Trudeau of Canada urging Israel to not take this step, saying that an incursion into Rafah would be devastating given the already dire humanitarian situation. The statement says, we urge the Israeli government not to go down this path. There is simply nowhere else for civilians to go. There is growing international consensus. Israel must listen to its friends and it must listen to the international community. The protection of civilians is paramount and a requirement under international humanitarian law. Palestinian civilians cannot be made to pay the price of defeating Hamas. That follows uh, warnings from the United States, the United Nations, other Western countries. U.S. President Joe Biden said this week, Israel must not move ahead with a prospective military operation in Rafah without a credible plan to keep civilians safe. Okay, so that's the latest sticking point. King Abdullah of Jordan is in Ottawa meeting with our Prime Minister, and they were talking about that and how, ultimately, we get to a point where we find lasting peace in the region. Uh, the situation right now in, in Gaza and in the Middle East in general is, uh, uh, is dire. Uh, and, uh, and the extra pressures of the, uh, the threats uh, to, uh, to more action on, on Rafa uh, has everyone deeply worried. Uh, we need to see the release of hostages. We need to see a sustainable ceasefire. We need to see more humanitarian aid flowing in. Uh, we need to see stabilization in, in the in the region, uh, peace, uh, and uh, we need to work on the two-state solution. It is the only way to ensure a durable peace and safety in the region. You hear that a lot, right? The two-state solution is the only option that has a chance of succeeding. How do we get there? Are there other models that we can look to that may offer some solutions for us? In fact, does Canada's confederation, what happened in our country, provide a model that could apply to Israel and Palestine? There is some writing, there are some proposals saying, yeah, it could. Jack Shedwab has the ins and outs. He's co-editor with uh, John Kincaid of the McGill-Queens University Press publication, Identities, Trust and Cohesion in Federal Systems, and wrote a great piece on this in the National Post this week that you should check out. Jack, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. No problem. Okay, so explain to us what we're talking about here. Canada's confederation and somehow applying it to Israel. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, when I saw this, uh, I was in Israel actually about uh, two weeks ago when I met with uh, sort of various experts uh, on a variety of issues and uh, learned quite a bit over the course of my uh, visit there. And I, I heard about this idea that uh, you could apply a federative model to the Israel-Palestine, if you'd like, uh, coexistence and, and ultimately some kind of uh, two-state or multi-state, if you'd like, uh, proposition. Uh, with the Canadian example, I thought it was actually very curious when I heard it. And mm -hmm. then I read about it further, I thought it was uh, humorous, to be fair, uh, because <laughs> uh, it uh, makes a reference in this uh, proposal called the Holy Land Confederation Proposal, which was co-authored by 
uh, Yossi Balin, who is uh, formerly Minister of Justice in Israel and one of the authors of the Oslo Peace Accords in the 1990s, uh, and this Holy Land Confederation proposal, which is uh, 120 pages of trying to answer every potential uh, challenge associated with some two-state formulation, uh, reads to me like a kind of a Hail Mary, uh, okay. as I as I describe it. Uh, but in terms of the Canada dimension of it, uh, they're re- making a reference to the vicious conflict between Upper and Lower Canada in the pre-Confederation period. Uh, then if you dig further, it's a reference to uh, Lord Durham's report of two nations warring within the bosom of a single state. Of course, as I say, Lord Durham wanted the English majority to assimilate the French uh, minority, which he felt was the only solution uh, to some kind of uh, uh, political entity that would emerge thereafter. So I thought that it was kind of a clumsy analogy with Canada's confederation, yeah. which is not a binational confederation. It's a federation of provinces. Uh, so I don't think it's applicable to uh, resolving the, the historic conflict that we see there between Israel and the Pal- Israelis, in this case, and the Palestinians. Just two different, because there are parallels. I can, I can see, I mean, loosely, I can see how you've got, you know, you've got two distinct populations, if you will. But like you say, there's a difference. You've got one state, when, it, when we talk about the Middle East, you've got one state with two provinces here. I mean, it's just too different. You don't see the parallels actually applying? Well, only from the standpoint of, uh, let's say, if Canada were, in fact, a binational yeah. state. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, here in my home province, Quebec, uh, some people argue it always has been binational. It's mm-hmm. the French and English, uh, of course, you know, uh, uh, seeing it from that point of view as a binational French-English partnership would not, I think, be particularly uh, positively viewed by our indigenous populations, right, who will sure. say it's yeah. multinational. They've got sort of 72 nations. Uh, so potentially you could say it's the Israelis and Palestinians, but then you get into, is it the Jews and the Palestinians uh, that are forming those two states? Because Israel, uh, as a, a country, does have a population that consists of 20% of Arab Israelis or Palestinian Israelis or Israeli Arabs, however they yeah. you know choose to define themselves. Uh, so you'd have that nation within the Jewish nation, if you'd like. Uh, of course, some people say there's not a Jewish nation. It's Israel as a sort of secular model, which includes Jews and others. There's a lot of debates about that in Israel itself. And then you've got the Palestinian nation, which would, let's say, be composed of the West Bank, where currently there are a number of Jewish settlers, which would be right. another yeah. issue you would have to address. Uh, you've got Gaza, where there are no Jews or Israelis there, because they've withdrawn from that area. Uh, and then you've got the debate about Jerusalem, uh, and where you trace the line in Jerusalem, and who governs Jerusalem. Right. Uh, those are all very challenging issues in terms of the demographics of the area, so I'm not sure when I think about it how you can work all that out. Uh, having said that, I think you do need some kind of two-state solution. I just don't see uh, currently uh, on the table the way that plays itself out in terms of the intersection between the complex demographics of the area and a very complex uh, geography or, or geographies as well. Uh, so it's good and well that our international leadership is pushing yep. for the two-state solution, but it becomes a bit of um, sort of a, a throw it out there, right, uh, if you don't have some kind of a plan accompanying it. That's the thing. Like, it's a great end goal, but we need a plan on, on how we're going to get there, and that seems to be where the problem has has always been. I'm interested. You were there. You were, you were in Israel and meeting with people. What, what, are, what are they saying inside of Israel, Jack? What's the consensus there? Is there a consensus, or what are they saying in terms of how this ends and what comes next? 
Um, I don't think they have an idea of how it ends, at least, and again, Israel's a complex society with, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, different and diverging points of view, uh, a lot of, uh, argument, if you like, it's reflected in the media, it's reflected on, on the TV screens there, uh, but there is still seems to be a lot of support for the military effort in Israel right now because uh, the population still feels uh, very much under attack by a lot of the rocket fire that's going on uh, there. There have been like uh, 10,000 plus rockets fired uh, on the country. Now they've got the Iron Dome, so some people will say, hey, most of those rockets aren't making it through anyway. Some of them are making it through, but uh, it's still a source of a lot of anxiety for the population there. Uh, without, of course, undercutting the response and the you know, civilian uh, deaths uh, that are occurring, you know, in Gaza mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so forth. But Israelis are feeling the sense of anxiety uh, associated with uh, the continued rocket fire, the so evacuation of the northern part of the country, uh, the evacuation of parts of the, of the south, right, as well, where, you know, for purposes of protecting the security of the population, uh, you've moved a lot of people out of those areas because of the rocket fire. So even that, it's sort of, when we talk about ceasefire, it has to be a ceasefire on both ends, ultimately. Yes, yeah. And the Israeli population does not see uh, the secession of rocket fire. Uh, as long as they don't see that, they'll continue probably to uh, bomb those areas from where the rocket fire is emanating, right? And And, and, and that unfortunately results in a lot of uh, really tragic uh, civilian casualties. Yeah, yeah. there's a story out this morning that 10 Lebanese civilians were killed this morning um, in response to rocket attacks from Lebanon, you know, and now Hezbollah is vowing to retaliate. So you're right. I mean, if you if you want a ceasefire out of Israel, you need to get a ceasefire from the other way. And it, I don't know. I don't know where this ends or if this ends, Jack. I mean, eventually it will, but I, I really don't know what's going to happen between then and now. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either, actually. And, you know... Uh, Having uh, been there and having gotten uh, shuffled into some security areas a couple of times while I was there, you know, uh, I sort of fully expected that before I went. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's not very uh, sort of reassuring. I could see where if you're in Israel, you're going to be very anxious and you're going to want some response to that. Definitely. Even if, again, some people say, well, nothing to worry about. They got that Iron Dome thing. So uh, that's not how the population sees it. So, uh uh, independent of where they situate themselves ideologically, because there's uh, always been a very lively debate there ideologically Definitely. about what the solutions are and about you know the need to uh, live with uh, our neighbors. And you've got an important Arab population there uh, as well, and and people do live together in that country, and that you know is another uh, issue. I think not a lot of people seem to be aware of when I speak to people here in Canada uh, in terms of uh, just how intertwine the populations are in terms of the composition of the population. They're not as separated out in terms of the Jews and Arab populations as, hmm. as some people may assume. Not as distinct, yeah. Interesting. Jack, thank you so much for your time. Great insight. I appreciated the chat.